the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. May I speak to you in the name of the one who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please be seated. Without completely giving away my age, I'll say that I'm at the point in life where a lot of my closest friends are beginning to have children. One of my best friends from high school gave birth to a baby this summer. One of my best friends from college is giving birth to a baby this upcoming April. And one of my closest friends from graduate school is giving birth to a baby in February. So you get the picture. Although not all of my friends want or can have children, I do have several friends who are now a few years settled into their marriages and are bringing children into their family unit. And I'll be honest, watching my close friends become mothers has completely transformed my understanding of parenthood. Especially because I also feel like I'm at the age where we're just pretending to be adults, but are not actually adults yet. <laughs> there are two things that I have learned about parenthood so far by watching my friends raise children. Parenthood is terrifying and chaotic. Parenthood is terrifying. When one of my friends had her first baby, she didn't sleep for the first two months at all. And that was not because the baby was not sleeping. The baby actually slept quite well. It was because she stared at the baby all night with her finger under his nostrils to make sure he was still breathing. And parenthood is chaotic. I watched one of my friends quickly scoop a large piece of food out of her baby's mouth while it was choking. Another friend dive head first to keep their baby from falling down the steps. As a church community, we all have some stake in the lives of young children. And so regardless of whether or not we have our own children, we all get glimpses at the terrifying and chaotic nature of parenthood. It might not come as a surprise then that I was reflecting on parenthood when reading our gospel text for today. Today we hear a story about a dream that Joseph had. An angel appeared to him and said that the baby that Mary was pregnant with was conceived by the Holy Spirit. As evidence, the angel recites the words of Isaiah from our first lesson, who prophesied that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now most sermons that I have heard on this text make Joseph the hero of the story. And in a lot of ways, I understand why. Joseph was incredibly loyal, faithful, and trusting. But today I want to focus on Mary, because I think she's going to help us delve a little bit more deeply into the chaotic and terrifying nature of parenthood, and I think she'll help ground us as we enter into the next few days before Christmas. I know there might have been a few of you, I know that there were several of you who attended Reverend Marissa's series on the various Marys that we read about in scripture. But for those that weren't there, I'd like to give a little bit of background on what the church actually teaches about Mary of Nazareth. 
Historically, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church have had the most to say about Mary theologically. There are four teachings about Mary that we get from the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic Church. In other words, these teachings were written by popes and Greek patriarchs over the centuries who were wrestling with who Mary was and asking why she holds a privileged place in Christianity. So here they are. Here are the four things that we are told about who Mary was by the church. One, she was born without original sin and never sinned. Two, she remained a virgin before and after giving birth to Jesus. Three, her body and soul were taken up into heaven after she died. And four, she is not simply the mother of Jesus, as if only to be the mother of his humanity, but she is the mother of God, what in Greek is called the Theotokos, Mary as the bearer of God. During the Reformation, Protestants thought that the Catholic and Orthodox devotion to Mary was a form of idolatry. Protestants argued that Mary was a historical person who was special and should be admired, but she should not get in the way of a personal relationship with Jesus. So Catholics and Orthodox believers developed a bit of a fixation on Mary, while traditionally Protestants had a little bit of amnesia. And neither of those positions seem just right. But as one of my professors jokingly said to me once, when you get to heaven and meet Jesus, would you rather have overemphasized his mother or underemphasized her? <laughs> All joking aside, I think that this point is spot on. It is a good thing that the Episcopal Church tends to occupy the space in between traditionally Orthodox and Roman Catholic beliefs and more traditionally Protestant ones. Because Mary tends to either be raised to an idol and placed on an exalted plane as the Blessed Virgin, or she is dismissed and forgotten. And neither, in either way, there is no room to consider the actual humanity of Mary. We have made Mary into a caricature of herself, a statue of a woman with porcelain white skin and brownish blonde hair dressed in crisp white linen, a red robe and a blue mantle, stars shining above her halo. A lot of feminist theologians in particular have struggled not only with these images of Mary, but also the portraits of that we have of who Mary actually was. She has become an archetype of obedience and subservience and passivity, values which unsurprisingly have long worked to keep women in a state of submission to patriarchal domination. The patriarchal values that have been projected onto Mary and the theological language that attempts to describe her create an image of Mary that obscures her earthly humanity and distances her from us. And that's unfortunate, because the human Mary has a lot to teach us as Christians. Most likely, Mary did not have a fair complexion or brown or blonde hair. And while there is dispute over whether or not modern day Palestinians physically resemble the people of first century Palestine, it's fair to say that Mary of Nazareth looked more like a Middle Eastern girl of today with darker skin and raven hair than she did a European Renaissance painting 
or a statue of her that is in a crash. Theologians are still to this day trying to make sense out of who Mary was, not just what she looked like, but the content of her character. Who was Mary? In the late 1980s, a Brazilian theologian named Leonardo Boff wrote a book called The Maternal Face of God and proposed that just as the Son of God became incarnate in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the female person of the Trinity, became embodied in Mary. And this was his attempt to somewhat balance how we understand the gender of a Christian God. But the trouble with this hypothesis is that Mary is not and never will be divine. She was and will only human. And that is the gift that she offers us. So I would ask us to invite Mary down from the pedestal where she has been honored in the past and rejoin us here in our humanity so that we can let her humanity speak to our own. So let us for a moment consider the humanity of this first century Jewish woman. A woman who was probably not even called Mary or Maria, which is the Greek translation of her name, but called by her common Jewish name of Mariam. Mariam and Joseph raised Jesus in a relatively poor town, Nazareth, under Roman occupation. When she gave birth to Jesus, she was probably around the age of 14. And after giving birth to Jesus, she raised him. And parenthood is terrifying and chaotic. As Jesus grew up, Mary was evidently confused or maybe just terrified about the way her son had turned out and the chaos he was causing. Not an uncommon event for parents today. When word spread about Jesus's preaching, the Gospel of Mark tells us that, quote, his family went to restrain him. When Mary suggests that Jesus help the wedding host who had run out of wine, Jesus turns to her and says sharply, woman, of what concern is that to you and to me? And so Mary turns to the host and says with what I imagine was an eye roll and a sigh, do whatever he tells you. Perhaps parenting Jesus even into his adult years was both chaotic and terrifying. Or perhaps she stood Jesus' Jesus's ultimate ministry even better than he did at that moment. Or perhaps both, and that wouldn't be surprising. Because Mary was Jesus' parent, and undoubtedly there every step of the way. She was there from the moment of his birth to the moment of his death, when she suffered the pain and grief that no parent should ever have to go through. When she was about 48 years old, she watched her son die on a cross, the worst form of capital punishment. Mary's was a human life filled with human struggle and clearly human emotion, a life that was simply also not just about parenting. Mary was a Jewish woman of deep faith. She practiced the Jewish religion in her home, following Torah and Sabbath and festivals, reciting prayers, lighting candles, and going. Believed in the God that the prophets of the Hebrew scripture tell us of, a God who hears the cries of the poor and frees the enslaved into covenanted relationship. Her belief in a God who liberates is underscored in her prayer, the Magnificat, the longest set of words that we have of any woman in the New Testament. 
The Magnificat is where Mary speaks to her belief in a powerful, living, and holy God who has done and is doing great things for her and for the poor. That God has, in Mary's words, cast the mighty down from their thrones, exalted the lowly, and filled the hungry with good things. When we consider the humanity of Mary, we get a very different portrait of her. We see a Mary who participates in God's vision of the world because Mary literally reveals to us a God who heals, redeems, and liberates. So it does her no honor to reduce her faith to a privatized piety or a simple mother-son relationship focused exclusively on Jesus because she was a woman who lived and breathed, who walked this earth, who had a relationship with her husband, Joseph, and her son, Jesus, but who also had a relationship with her faith and with the world around her. Nor does it honor her if we rip her out of the conflictual and dangerous historical circumstances and transmute her into an icon of peaceful middle-class life robed in royal blue. Mary, Mariam was a woman who fleed as a refugee with her baby to a strange land to escape being killed by the Roman military, who raised Jesus and was clearly worried about her son as he began his public ministry, and a woman who lost her child to unjust execution. If Mary is the archetype of anything, it is not of passivity and subservience, but of resilience and courage and faith in the midst of that which is terrifying and chaotic. We are three days away from the birth of Mary's son. And as we wait in joyful anticipation for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, let us be encouraged by Mary's mothering of God and commit ourselves to making God more present in our broken world. Let us reclaim the power of Mary's humanity for the flourishing of a suffering people, and draw on her memory of her humanity to lead us deeper into a deeper relationship with the living God, the incarnate God who is with us, who exists in our midst. And let us recognize the divinity in the chaos and the transcendence in the imminence of our humanity. Amen. <laughs>